Welcome to the Quartering Podcast for Wednesday, the 1st of March. First up, YouTube just destroyed long-form content with this new change, and Jeremy has proof. That's right, my channel is under attack. Well, actually, anybody who posts long-form content here on YouTube is getting demolished by this new change that YouTube rolled out seemingly on February 1st. And this isn't just a speculative or a uh, anecdotal reaction. I'm going to show you the data that also supports exactly what's going on. Many people have reached out to me during live streams or via email saying, dude, are you all right? Have you put videos out lately? Yeah, I put out four to five videos a day, every single day, weekday, and some Saturdays, including when I was on vacation. I noticed that views were dipping. Revenue was dipping, <clears throat> but you know, I never really had a chance to dig into it. You know, I am one of the channels out there that has embraced shorts. And the reason, not the ones I'm wearing right now, but the reason I wanted to do shorts is because they are a great way to meet new viewers, to get new subscribers. The hope is that you do these shorts, which doesn't really fit my format, to entice people to come watch. And last month alone, I had nearly 20 million views on shorts alone. You make no money from doing shorts. The only reason I do them is to find new viewers that will hopefully watch my long form content. YouTube essentially has told me in my meetings, like, dude, you gotta do shorts. I don't care if you like them or not. I don't care if your viewers don't like them or not. You've gotta do shorts. Well, this has now led to a near 50% drop in viewership of my long form videos. And I think I know exactly why. And if it's happening to me, it's happening to all your other favorite content creators. So I have a thread that I was going to push on on Twitter, but I'm going to go through it first with you. And if you made it this far, leave a like on the video. If you haven't yet subscribed, make sure you subscribe and then you click the bell to turn on notifications. And then once you're done watching this video, I'm going to need you to post it, tag Team YouTube, share it out there, because this isn't just affecting me. Uh, this is affecting every YouTuber who does long form content, which I believe is very detrimental to fighting the kind of the culture war and pushing back on things because it's very difficult to do that in 30 second clips and shorts. But here's the thread I've put together with data that actually shows what is going on. Now, if I would actually show it to you, that would be extremely helpful, I imagine. Um, but you know, this is the situation. So it's a little great out because I haven't posted it yet, but I'm writing this open letter to team YouTube here and asking my viewers to share this video and politely take team YouTube too, because <clears throat> this is nuts. This is such a brutal drop, um, in revenue and in reach that, you know, like if it's, if it's like this again in March, it, it fundamentally changes like how many staff members I can have. You know, how many people I can actually employ. And obviously that's not okay. Uh, you know, YouTube wants us to be all super duper uh, less stressed. Well, you know, they want us to continue to work and, and uh, you know, do all sorts of stuff like that. Sorry, I'm moving the camera around a little bit. But ultimately the problem here is that YouTube's algorithmic changes have had at least what, you know, what maybe I could say hopefully is unintended consequences that I'm hoping 
they can fix in, like post haste. Dear YouTube, recent changes to your homepage to push shorts are destroying channels, not just mine. Here's some raw numbers. <clears throat> so these are raw numbers from my, my channel specifically. January, you can see 71.5% of my viewership basically coming from YouTube showing my videos. You see browse features, shorts feed, suggested videos, channel pages, notifications. Now the browse features are essentially, I'll share YouTube's definition of that, but how I understand it is people saw your video somewhere on YouTube, whether they navigated to your page or they saw it on their page. Essentially, this is recommended. Suggested video is a little different, but I'll get into that. This is January, 71.5%. In February, you can see a massive push to the newly monetized shorts and a huge drop in people seeing my videos in search. Browse feature drops all the way down to 60.4% from 71.5, more than 10%. You're talking about millions of views gone. And look what happens to shorts. 14.7% the month before shorts were monetized to now 26.1, almost doubles. They're pushing shorts, right? Obviously. Suggested videos stay about the same at 3% versus 3.3%. But this is millions of views lost from people finding my videos. To then further illustrate this, if we go back to December, okay, just to give like, you know, oh, was January good? No, this is basically always the case. If I go back to December, a whopping 73.4% of my viewers of my overall views were found on YouTube. This is, I'm sure, true of all your favorite content creators too. 73.4%, that's like even higher, right? So from December at 73.4% to February at 60, that's nearly 15% drop, representing three to five million views gone. All three months, I've published the similar volume of videos. The news cycle cyclical as always, but that's a 90-day capture. There's always hot spots and low spots. Now, browse data, which is what I'm referring to, is defined by YouTube as traffic from homepage slash home screen, the subscription feed, and other browsing features. So essentially, they find your video somewhere on YouTube, okay? Total video views, if I pull out shorts, December, 20 million, January, 20 million, so 19.5 million, exact, almost exactly the same. February, 11.8 million, down 50%. Now there'll be people in the comments like, Meh, I was mad because you were arguing, feuding with, it doesn't matter, I didn't lose any subscribers. My subscribers continue to go up. I lost nearly 50% of my viewership because of this push to shorts. That's what I'm assuming it is based on the data. Again, if, if we look at December's data, 9% from shorts feed. January was 14%, so it nearly doubled. And then now it's 26%. It's eating up 26% of my overall. And by the way, shorts pay zero money. And I mean effectively zero. Yes, YouTube likes to say they're monetized. But unless you're getting hundreds of millions of views, you're getting like pennies per thousand per ten thousand views. You might get you might get five dollars 
for a million views. Five, you know, I've seen videos that have a million views that got less than $10 in revenue, okay? This is not just my channel. This is everybody's channel. I lost nearly 50% of my viewership because of the push to shorts. Shorts pay nothing on the platform. This is destroying my business. Serious changes, including staff cuts, will be required to continue. That's just the truth. And now YouTube wants us to do more live streams so we can beg you guys for super chats or have more people to, don't you, is, isn't it, you know, don't you think it's curious that, you know, why so many people were pushing join last month, including myself? By the way, at this point, you know, joining is, is great, but I'm going to, I think I'm going to push my locals more. If, if you want to actually get notified and actually have a source where you trust, please do one of the two following things. Go to my locals page, the quartering dollar, open a new window or, you know, do this later. Go to the quartering.locals.com and follow me there. I'm not asking you for any money. You don't have to give me any money. I just want you to be able to follow me there so I can actually reach you. If you want to support, that's great, but it's not required. Or go to thequartering.com. And in the upper right, there's a um, upper right. There is an option to log into my mailing list right here to sign up for my mailing list. Put your email address in here, hit subscribe. Then you have to go to your email account and confirm your subscription. It's called a double opt-in. It's to keep spammers out. You'll get an email immediately, then go confirm it and you're good. Because this is nuts. A 50% drop in revenue. If this continues, it will have to, it will drastically change the, the quality of content that exists on YouTube. Why do they want to push shorts? Because they can still run ads and pay you and pay creators literally nothing. Hundreds of millions of views on a long form video would be worth, you know, I don't know, hundreds of thousands of dollars. Hundreds of millions of views on shorts is worth about a thousand dollars. I don't know, a couple thousand bucks. Now, the reason for this is simple, in my opinion. For my channel, mobile traffic represents nearly 60% of all viewers. When using the app, this is what you see. They have to scroll for miles just to see a normal video. It's shorts and then it's selling movies. So when you open it up, it'll show like the last video you were watching. Maybe it'll you got to get lucky. You got to be, you get one video recommendation. Then it's a huge section for shorts. And then they're trying to sell me movies. None of this is helpful. I want to, when I log into the app, I want to see the videos from the creators that I like. I'm actually going to pull up the YouTube app right now to show you live on my, on my screen. Okay. This is, this is it, right? So there's a video from best ever food review show, which I'm not even subscribed to, but I have been watching their videos lately. They're very, very good. Then you have to scroll down and the, and right now at this point, the entire screen is shorts and then selling movies. Okay. None of which are these channels are I'm not subscribed to, you know, and then I get recommended a video about the Lakers, which I don't, I'm not a Lakers fan. Then a second video from more, 
whatever hair trans uh, the same food review channel. Then stories, then more shorts. And then finally a post, not even a video. Okay, that's how far you have to scroll down to even see a video. And the videos that they are showing are heavily, heavily skewed towards shorts. This is going to destroy a lot of people's businesses, a lot of YouTube channel. Maybe it's because they just don't want so many good long form videos out there that are easily to, you know, be able to debunk things. This trend is untenable from YouTube. Uh, I, I don't know what the solution is. That's why if you made it this far in the video, please open a new tab and, and follow me on locals. The, I don't know how else to, or, or sign up for my mailing list on the quartering.com. One of these, if everybody who watches this video does one of these two things, like if you care about finding your channels, you're going to have to follow them somewhere else. People say, why are you still on YouTube? I'm not. I'm on Rumble. I'm on Odyssey. I'm on BitChute. I'm everywhere. But this entire machine is funded by YouTube and individual investors, people that back me on places like Locals and Subscribestar. But the 99% of the revenue that funds my video editors, my thumbnail guy, my you know assistant, stuff like that, comes from YouTube. I wouldn't be getting ad read money if I had only the views on my Rumble channel. Yes, I hope one day that there are even more viable options. I, I support these platforms financially too, monthly. I'm a member of their subscribe stars and Patreon, or subscribe stars. So, you know, until such a point in which there are viable alternatives, this type of change on YouTube is going to destroy channels. It is completely untenable for me if this is going to continue in this trend. Uh, I, I worry deeply for other creators too. This is not okay. I don't want to make shorts. My viewers don't like shorts and they're not sustainable. I want to make shorts to get views. Okay, great. I can't pay my mortgage with views. Please go follow me on, on the quartering.locals.com. If you want to support, I would appreciate it, but you absolutely don't have to. Um, if you want to switch your membership on YouTube to locals, I totally understand. Um, this is nuts. And it's never, and it's gonna only get worse unless YouTube addresses this. And next up today, woke Peter Pan remake demolished as race swapped Tinkerbell gets record dislikes. Disney Plus fails. Well, it looks like we have yet another Little Mermaid disaster brewing for Disney. If you remember, the race swapped Little Mermaid was disliked into oblivion on its YouTube channel trailer, and now YouTube Disney's woke remake of Peter Pan called Peter Pan and Wendy, because it can't just be Peter Pan, it has to be Peter Pan and Wendy, uh, has race swapped several positions, has many cringe, woke dialogue options, and turns out Disney has been furiously striking down channels for reacting to this trailer, copyright striking, and trying to silence any and all criticism. And because, I would say, because they learned from the last time they learned uh, uh, that if they let us talk, we can actually have a difference. We can make a difference. And with, with, with when Little Mermaid comes out, you know, I'm going to remind everyone that remember how you know angry you were when it came when you saw the trailer. 
So don't give in and just go see it in the theater. Go see something else. Better yet, buy the original Little Mermaid and share that with your family. So we had this uh, article. I'm sorry, the trailer dropped yesterday. Peter Pan and Wendy, official trailer, Disney+. Plus, and it is getting absolutely shredded. Shredded. Okay. By the way, uh, I talked about earlier today how YouTube is really messing up and, and, and holding my videos back from, uh, from my viewers. So I hope that they fix it soon. But in the meantime, if you haven't yet, please uh, sign up to follow me on my Locals account. Uh, I would really greatly appreciate it because I can actually get a hold of you, uh, send you notifications when I go live and things of that nature. Or go to thequartering.com. In the upper right-hand corner, there's an email list sign up. Put in your email address, then go check your email and confirm your subscription. Then at least when I need to get a hold of you, I can. 27,000 upvotes for 1.2 million views. That seems pretty low. Oh, it's because there is in fact, in fact, 159,000 dislikes. And we're just starting. 160,000 dislikes. I actually can't believe that they left comments on too. Because in the comment section, they're getting absolutely obliterated. I love the part where Tinkerbell says the hook, look at me, I'm the captain now. I love the part where Peter Pan said life is like a box of chocolates. It's the same, like, I don't know if these are bots who are doing this, to be honest with you. But I know that there's enough, like, anger around these things, you know, where it's like, I love the line where Peter Pan said, Wendy, let's go to Neverland because it's too expensive to go to Disneyland, one of the most epic lines in all of cinema. Um, you know, all of this stuff. And if you look, just getting absolutely destroyed. If you look at the newest comments, tokens, people really want to say there's no agenda. Every single classic cartoon is being remade with a black race swap. Tinkerbell's black, Peter Pan's race swapped. The Lost Boys are now lost, they, them. Good luck with this next flop. And yeah, if you look, there's like, I, I can't play the video. You'll have to watch it yourself if you want. But there's like this line where it's like, Wendy's like, you're not all boys talking about the Lost Boys. And like, they're like, yeah, so what? Like this person says, so? Because when they show the Lost Boys, they are a bunch of, you know, very, di it's a very diverse cast of they, thems. Why would you call yourself the Lost Boys? That's the funniest part about this. They These are not the Lost Boys, right? They are Lost They Thems. Or like the Lost Ones or the Lost Kids or the Lost whatever, you know what I mean? Uh, but they kept the name Lost Boys, but they are clearly not the Lost Boys. And you know, just like Peter Pan, you're starting to see some of the articles. Peter Pan and Wendy Starr say production hired them, hired team to fix franchises problematic Native American depiction. What? Actress Alyssa, I'm not even going to try to pronounce that last name, claimed that the production team behind Disney Plus's Peter Pan reboot put a lot of work into getting the portrayal of the story's Native American characters right. I mean, I guess that seems pretty good. I mean, you want to depict people, right? But here you go. Disney, Twitter is pissed over Black Tinkerbell, would rather have new POC characters. Why is that out of line? Why is that? Why? Like, why would, why is that a, a hot take to say that? You know, 
People think Disney's choice to make Tinkerbell in the upcoming Peter Pan and Wendy flick, uh, instead of making a new character for a person of color, is a terrible move, and now Twitter's up in arms over it. What a shock. In case you missed it, Disney dropped the trailer for the live-action film Tuesday, and fans are getting the first look at Yara Shadidi as everyone's favorite pixie. But a bunch of people are complaining about the switch-up, saying it feels like the company's more interested in image than inclusivity. Well, duh! Twitter in a frenzy over Yara's role, with one person writing, Look at he, they. Disney couldn't care less about making new stories with POC characters. They just put POC people in to play white characters. And it shows, one, how lazy Disney is. Two, how racist it is. And that they don't like think POC people deserve their own stories, besides like three animated movies. Another echo that t- Disney's more focused on race swapping original characters as opposed to putting them in the time to make a new product with a more diverse cast. So even the Wokies, even the Wokies are rejecting it. But Tinkerbell is, I, Tinkerbell's iconic look is literally the blonde hair and blue eyes. Nothing wrong with the loose representation, but why keep changing stuff that already has a staple look? Others say Tinkerbell has always been known as the white girl with blonde hair and blue eyes and diverting from the original material isn't right. As you know, Disney recently made the same move with the Little Mermaid, casting Halle Bailey as Ariel. I mean, yeah. It sucks. It's lazy. It's cringe. It's bad. And, you know, to be totally honest with you, all it does is completely fuel the idea, the theory that that's exactly what Disney's doing. is just essentially erasing white characters. You know? modernizing them for a modern audience turn on a turn on a commercial nowadays see how see what the casting looks like does it look anything like the people that live around you that it doesn't does it look like anything like the people you even work with that it doesn't disney's peter pan and wendy trailer prays for tiger lily casting but draws more race swap backlash Disney's trailer for the latest live-action remake has brought with it a now-familiar wave of, uh, wave of online backlash against race-swapping of the central character in what has been dubbed Ariel 2.0 by social media users. Well, maybe stop doing it. Like, when the Little Mermaid movie comes out, if it doesn't flop, then what are we even doing here? Like, nobody better go see that movie. Like, if you pay to go see Little Mermaid, if you watch... This remake on Disney Plus, even as a meme, you are enforcing this behavior, reinforcing this behavior from Disney. In a completely contradictory movie, the trailer has also been seen as being praised for casting indigenous actresses in the role of Tiger Lily, a character that has often been seen as problematic in the original animated classic by who? By who? Look at these replies. He's like just getting dunked on, right? Black Tinkerbell, Black Little Mermaid, Brown Snow White, some writers to Disney. Shouldn't we make original characters and original scripts instead? Disney, nah, let's spend millions of cash and redoing old animations to live action. So instead of giving a P- giving POC their own movies or just making new movies with POC characters, they decided to just make white characters black for some reason, so they just like, hey, we are so accepting, we support everyone. This is so weird. Other than Princess and the Frog, there isn't any other. So in Peter Pan and Wendy, Tinkerbell is race swapped. Surprised, 
No, not really, because it's the only thing Disney Studios is even known for. Clearly, it's not good storytelling or competent writing. All they know how to do is meet quotas and pander, even though they don't mean it. You see, <laughs> there's black fairies, black fairies and Tinkerbell, but apparently we have to keep blackwashing only popular white characters to feel represented. So there is original, there's a diverse group of fairies, which you could have just given another fairy, uh, like of more lines in the film or made it, made her like a uh, her partner or something like that, instead of just replacing them. By 2030, every Disney character will be black, even when they shouldn't. Yeah. I mean, duh, that's the end goal here. That's like the, you know, look, if you have a traditionally native American character, and you want to hire a Native American to play them, I think that's a good thing. But if you also have a traditionally white character, why are you not allowed to cast a white character to play them? It seems so like counterintuitive and like any idiot, except like it's just a special exception for white people. It's like everything that, that white people were in, they we are now saying, well, they shouldn't have been. And so we're going to fix it by replacing them with literally anybody else. And, you know, that's a bold strategy, Cotton. Uh, but eventually... I think people are going to start to push back against this notion that, you know, it was a mistake kind of thing. There's nothing wrong with diversity, but there's everything wrong with this lazy race swapping, gender swapping garbage. And next up today, the biggest OnlyFans simp in history. The career, the, uh, uh, the industry, that is uh, the fans accounts, have uh, been having, been taking a lot of L's lately and... This particular L will fall on a gentleman who uh, has stolen nearly a million dollars and spent it on OnlyFans girls, at least a significant chunk of it, and he is now in jail over it. So literally simped himself into jail on top of some other hilarious L's. Let's start with Jim Band's uh, model after catching her taking photos in changing room. The OF models have been dealing with a lot of controversies lately when it comes to making content from teachers being banned from making content at school. Hello, is that a is that supposed to be a bad thing? To legal disputes with IHOP, there's no shortage of drama. The latest controversy comes in the form of I don't care, you don't get to get named, who admitted to taking photos in the changing rooms, but not for OF. According to the 31, by the way, why aren't phones just banned in gyms? People are like, but I need my music. You know what? Get an MP3 player. They still exist, don't they? Like no phones in the gym. None. I just don't understand it. Like if I see, or like if I see your phone out, you're gone. You want to, you know, press start on your playlist and, uh, and like put it in your pocket or whatever. I think that's fine. But if you have it in your hand and you're using it, you're just gone. I, I don't understand this. Like, you know, I, you know what when i'm working out i don't want a bunch of thirsty women taking pictures of my rippling abs you know i think and then also like gym selfies are cringe like uh i used to know this girl that would like go take selfies at the gym and then have all of her makeup on in the picture so it's like you clearly weren't working out uh, anyway according to the 31 year old she posted an image of herself in workout gear to instagram but because her account uh, contained a link to her of account CrossFit uh, uh, had an issue, the place. Speaking with Daily Star, 
Harrison pla blasted the gym's decision, calling it utter discrimination. In WhatsApp messages, Harrison revealed that the gym's owner sent her texts asking her to leave, stating that the photo she took had been posted to her OF account. When she asked for proof, the owner replied with a screenshot of her backup Instagram account. Despite Stephanie being adamant that she did nothing wrong, she ultimately had no choice but to leave the gym and block the owner for asking for her termination in writing. Good. Good. I don't understand. Like, I, I guess like gym heads, they, they like to maybe film their, were their form or something like that. I guess there are legitimate reasons to have your phone out, I guess with lifting and stuff like that. I guess you could make that argument, but it's almost like I'd rather just see no phones out, you know, like, uh, no phones for, uh, or maybe like, uh, you know, a gym use only camera <laughs> that you can like have them send you the videos. So you can't post them to social media. That'd be a way around it. Right. Oh, I want to film my workout to make sure my form's good. Go check one out, film it like a little GoPro. Right. You know, and then the footage there. It's not like girls being like, tee hee, Ooh, I'm at the gym again. Tee hee hee. You know, um, it was totally unexpected. I was in a sports bra. No, you were using it to advertise your OF account, which of course looks like you rely heavily on Photoshop for. Not the only L taken this week. Florida lawyer blows $840,000 in clients' money on OnlyFans and drugs. What an amazing, amazing thing to happen. A personal injury lawyer, attorney in Florida, was arrested this week for stealing more than $840,000 from his clients and then spending the money on, on uh, probably nose candy and only fans. Christopher Michael Richards, 44, is facing charges of money laundering and grand theft for defrauding 16 clients out of settlement funds. He agreed to represent them in a personal injury case. He referred them to doctors. He sent monetary demand packages to insurance companies, forged clients' names on settlement documents, and pocketed all the settlement money, leaving people with no compensation for their injuries and holding the bag for their medical bills. He opened his own practice back in 2015, mostly representing people in wrecks, car wrecks, detectives from Pinella County Sheriff's Office stating investigating his business last October after receiving a complaint from one of his victims who said he abruptly stopped communicating with her. Investigators found that Reynolds had allegedly forged that very woman's signature on settlement documents and pocketed $100,000 that was supposed to be for her medical bills. At least 15 other clients were identified as uh, falling for the same scheme going back to 2019. A search of Reynolds' financial records revealed that he allegedly used the funds to purchase uh, prawn as well as to fuel a little nose candy problem. I mean, it is like, it is absolutely hilarious. I don't know why lawyers would be, you know, touching the client's money in any way, shape, or form. But imagine this guy in prison being like, oh, what are you in for? Oh, you know, this or that or this or that. What are you in for? Uh, simping. I mean, I'm in prison for simping. Or this one. You know, this one, was, this one went viral on the internet for a while, and it was an absolutely great moment. 
OF star cop's brutal answer when she asks man if he thinks she's hot. Former neighbor star turned OF model, by the way, stop paying for this stuff, uh, has suffered a brutal takedown when she was speaking to the public for social media content. Scarlett's who best known for her time on playing on the soap, playing police officer, don't care, chatted to a guy and asked for some honest truth. In a high-pitched voice, the actor wanted to know if the hoodie-clad man thought she was hot. And, well, we're going to assume his response wasn't what she expected. She asked, do you have a girlfriend? The man responded that he didn't, to which she asked, to which she asked do you think I'm hot? He responded, eh, not really. When she asked him why he didn't mince words, way many more people out there attractive than you. Then he finished, no one's going to be simping over you. I mean, based king. The video has garnered more than 40 million views, eclipsing all of Vass's other videos on TikTok, which usually uh, get 500,000 to 2 million. The video posted to her own account is full of commenters praising the man for roasting her. Other users said, this man is going down in the history books. Others slandered for unnecessarily body shaming her. Why? He, she asked the question. And by the way, let me be very clear. She was trying to, either this was completely fake, which it could be, right? Probably one of her paying subscribers. But also, if it wasn't, it was meant to make fun of him. Oh, here's a fat guy in a hoodie, and look how beautiful I am. Ha ha ha. Let's see if he thinks I'm hot. Tee hee 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 hee. And you know what's funny is like, you know, all of this stuff, all of this stuff, uh, just it's, it's a blight on society. And really what's going to happen now is to be totally honest is things are tightening up. Hey, look, they are even on YouTube. Things are tightening up. People are going to, uh, uh, you know, start making tough decisions with their life. Now, are they going to continue to simp uh, for... OF girls, or are they going to pay their rent? Are they going to pay their mortgage, or are they going to keep paying some broad on Twitch $14.99 a month to be a tier three sub? This industry, which has you know gotten much bigger over the past few years, uh, is degenerate. I think that uh, women use it, and by the way, it's not their fault that it exists. Women pretend. This is the thing when they go to Twitch, right? Twitch, the Twitch to OnlyFans pipeline, right? They go to Twitch and they pretend, tee I'm a video game player. Look at me, pew, pew, ooh, woo. And then, oh, just check the links in my description if you want to see my b-hole. And, and that's how they get, and then men get addicted to it. This parasocial relationship, this, uh, um, this OF stuff is horrible for men. Horrible. It's also really bad for women because the way society works, 99% of these women are going to fail miserably at that. And these pictures are always going to be out there for their kids to find, for their family to see. And I guarantee you there are plenty of them that deeply regret it. But uh, none more than the man who stole nearly a million dollars and got caught paying off these professional women. And next up, FBI just stopped a man sneaking a bomb on a plane, but something is fishy about this. Well, here we go. 
Uh, this is obviously not not good news, not the type of story that uh, I would normally cover on this channel, but I feel like I'm trying to figure out what my viewers are, are into, what they're interested in, and uh, certainly this is a pretty scary topic. Uh, a man was just uh, arrested after TSA found that he had uh, sewn in a device into his check bag um, as it was being loaded onto an Allegiant flight from Pennsylvania to Florida. Uh, I'm not I'm not exactly sure what his intentions were, but the fact that it was sewn into the bag tells me that this was potentially, you know, you might have just stopped, uh, you know, hundreds of people from losing their lives. I don't, you know, we, we, we're probably not going to know about exactly what the device was, but here's everything we know. A 40-year-old Pennsylvania man has been taken into FBI custody after trying to smuggle a device that goes boom onto an Allegiant flight. Officials say the device was concealed inside a checked piece of luggage at Lehigh Valley International Airport and contained multiple fuses, ABC News reported. Mark Muffley of Lanford, Pennsylvania, was about to take an Allegiant flight from east of Pennsylvania to Sanford. The bag triggered an alarm before being loaded onto the plane. Wow, it actually works. I guess, shout out to TSA. TSA found a circular compound hidden in the lining of the baggage, the FBI said. It looks like a winner individual. Once found, Muffley was paged over the airport's public system to come to the security desk. Minutes later, security cameras showed him running away and leaving the airport. So essentially, the, the checked bag is... So when you fly, you might not always have... I always just have a carry-on. That's the bag you bring onto the plane. It has to be smaller. You can put it in the overhead bins. This would have been a bag that would have been located in the, uh, into, in the belly of the plane. Now, I don't know... If it was like in order to supposed to start a fire, we'll, we'll read here a little bit more. If it was intended to detonate on the plane with him on it, without him on it, maybe he, maybe there was somebody on that plane and he never actually intended to, to go on that flight. He just bought a ticket, um, but he was such a genius. He bought it under his own name. He clearly knew what was in that bag because why would he, if he, if it was like, oh, I bought this bag on eBay and there's this thing I didn't even notice. Police, the FBI, and experts responded to the airport. An airport spokesperson tell WFMZ that part of the main terminal was closed around 11.15 a.m. while authorities investigated a suspicious package. The device hidden in the bag's lining was a circular compound about three inches in diameter. It was said to have a granular type of powder concealed in wax paper and plastic wrap, the criminal complaint stated. The granular type of powder is consistent with commercial-grade firework, the complaint said. There were also two fuses attached, one which appeared to be part of the original manufacturing um, and is used to ignite it quickly. But the other fuse was added later and burned slower than the quick fuse. Officials said that adding that to the powders could ignite from heat or friction posing significant risk. The investigators also found in the suitcase a can of butane, a lighter, a pipe with white powder residue, a wireless drill, and two GFCI outlets taped together. It seems like, 
I mean, was this a weird test? Was this person like a total lunatic? And if it was in a check bag, okay, if the bag was supposed to be checked, then he would never have had access to it uh, in the in the luggage bay. So unless he ignited the fuse and it had like a 45-minute fuse and somehow it I'm not sure what he was thinking. The suspicious package was discovered shortly after 11 a.m. on Monday and the west side of the airport's main terminal was shut down for, quote, precautionary measures. The package was removed from the airport. Muffley faces charges of possession of explosives in the airport and posing attempting to place stuff on aircraft. He was arrested in his home, Lancer Monday night, uh, and county authorities assisting the FBI with the arrest. I don't really know. Um, you know, you can look at a lot of these right-wing, oh, he's a right-wing Trumper, lefty, lefty loon. Everyone's immediately politicizing it. Um, he's wearing their Trumper uniform. Probably one of the, I, I don't really know. Because whatever was in, uh, I don't really know. I wouldn't, it could just be a weirdo. I'm not sure it's what he thought was going to happen. Right now, there's not a lot of other information, you know, and I'm not exactly sure if this guy was quote unquote, what we're going to wait probably to need to see is, was he known to the police? It sounds like what he had I'm not sure would have done that much damage outside of creating a small fire. But what else did, why did he have two GFCI outlets taped together in that? What was, what was the point? Was he trying to make it look, I think it was like he was trying to make it look like something bigger than it was. Was he trying to like, and why was it sewn into the luggage? And why did he have, you know, by the way, you can't have, I don't know if you, I don't think you can have a can of butane. Maybe it, he, maybe he hoped that the butane would erupt or something like that. Um, you know, it's, it's really interesting if it was all connected. Um, and you know, I don't, I'm not exactly sure what the heck, you know, he's going to have, this is a major charge. I mean, this is going to be, uh, you know, a big, big, big charge for him to face, but I guess, you know, ultimately, um, <laughs> awesome that it worked, you know, awesome, uh, that TSA actually works, I guess, um, that the, you know, I just went, you know, I just traveled. So this is obviously pretty terrifying. Um, it doesn't seem like, it seems like if he went to the level of actually sewing it in there, is this some sort of, you know, distraction? Is this, you know, there's so much weird stuff going on right now, whether it's balloons or it's trains or it's, you know, all this stuff. Um, maybe this guy was just some weirdo lunatic, but I'm not exactly sure. Like he attached two fuses to it, but how do you, how did he plan on igniting the fuse? It doesn't work that way. Um, it's, it's weird. Now, a wireless drill, cordless batteries, maybe he thought, Maybe he thought that putting all these things in a check bag when pressurized would have created something, would have created a fire. I suppose maybe that's the case. But then why would he have wanted to be on that plane? Maybe he never intended to be on that plane. But why did he buy a ticket under his own name then? Um, none of this makes sense. It just the whole thing really reeks.
And next up, Teacher forces fifth grader to transition, and it ends tragically. This is a kind of a more serious story. It's one about a teacher. You know, for, for everyone who's been, um, you know, kind of gaslighting, when, when we see these, like, weirdos pushing gender ideology on students, like, oh, that never happens. You're crazy. You're crazy. That never really happens. Well... A New York teacher has forced uh, a fifth grader to use male pronouns, and that resulted in them wanting to remove themselves from the planet. It resulted in brutal uh, treatment from their students, all because the teacher was really excited to convert a student. At least that's how it looks. And it made things worse. That teacher's parents or that teacher's bosses all knew about it. And they did nothing to stop it. Make sure you leave a like on this video and you subscribe. We're going to follow this story. New York, New York teacher forced someone who's nine to use male pronouns, causing, and then, you know, there's a lawsuit pending now. Good. And you're going to see a lot more of this. A Long Island teacher, Deborah Rosenquist, a fifth grade teacher at Terryville Road Elementary in Port Jefferson Station, started calling the nine year old Leo and used the opposite gender pronouns toward the beginning of the 2021-2022 school year, according to a lawsuit filed in Suffolk County Court by the child's parents last month. The parents say that they were only clued in about what was happening in January 2022 when the school principal called them, telling them their child, referred to in court papers as AV, had drawn a picture of a girl writing, I want to end myself and I feel sad a lot. Wonder where a nine-year-old learns about those concepts, by the way. The principal also informed the parents that their student, that their child had even met with the school psychologist, telling the mental health worker that she was confused about her gender identity, the court papers say. Despite Rosenquist, 62, and by the way, are you surprised she looks the way she does? Having students refer to the student for months at this point as Leo, it was only during the January 27th call that parents were asked for the very first time if that name was even okay. The parents were supportive as long as their student who had requested the name change, the filing said, but they had their doubts. She asked to be called Leo to identify as a boy in the past. She had been called that by a friend, but in reference to her astrological sign. Her parents also became concerned when they saw complaints against Rosenquist on Facebook claiming the teacher had been reported uh, for very bad behavior and the school district had done nothing about it because she was tenured. During, digging, uh, during a deeper dig in the social media comments, the parents found that Rosenquist didn't, allow the school didn't follow the school curriculum and taught her students about transgender people and told them to, quote, try being gay or to go by the opposite gender. The suit claims these are fifth graders nine eight nine the educator even made her own lgbtq plus book called i am neither for her nine and ten year old students and assigned a book called when aiden becomes a brother according to the lawsuit while the parents weren't con concerned by the topic they were worried that they're being taught too at too young of an age and were worried that Rosenquist had significantly deviated from the school district's curriculum. Certainly sounds like it, right? 
One of the parents met with the principal, the superintendent, and assistant superintendent on February 3rd, 2022, when the administrators, quote, admitted that the issue had not been handled properly. Oh, they're going to lose a lot of money. And said they hadn't known about the off-curricular materials that Rosenquist had been using. While they said they had investigated, it was clear the investigation was superficial at best, the suit claims. The parents are accusing the school of negligence in failing to properly monitor Rosenquist's classroom and train and supervise staff. The parents were incredibly concerned about the well-being of their nine-year-old. They had and always will support their child, but worried that they were being persuaded by Rosenquist to be trans and had not expected any such inclination, expressed any such, but she had not expressed any such inclination. Their daughter was placed in a different classroom, but now is a subject of bullying and alienation. Alienation. The, uh, some of her classrooms even have a text message group where they discuss the student, leave them out, and say terrible things about them. The family is suing for unspecified damages. Rosenquist was removed from that classroom, but is now teaching even younger students, according to the family's lawyer. Wabnick told the Post in a statement that Rosenquist, quote, manipulated a preteen female into changing her gender identity when the child did not feel the inclination to do so. A working number could not be found for the teacher. The psychological and social damage Rosenquist caused this child and her family was immense. Um, <clears throat> you know what's interesting on top of this? If you dig deeper, her bosses knew about it. The new revelations came as a shock to the parents who did who did welcome a preteen daughter exploring her identity, but believed she was being forced to do so. They also found that Rosenquist had been allegedly reported to the school district for putting their hands on people, but nothing was done about it soon after the parents started speaking with other parents at the school. They revealed that Rosenquist had not only gone beyond the curriculum, but taught kids about being trans, but actively encouraging them to try being gay. Superintendent Jennifer J. Quinn at the school's principal and Anne-Marie Scovey both admitted to the parents in a meeting in February that they knew Rosenquist was peddling this mentality in the classroom, the lawsuit claims. The suit also states that parents of Rosenquist's former students stated that Rosenquist went beyond the district's curriculum and taught her students about being transgender, suggested kids try being gay, or if a boy, or try being a boy if they were a girl, or try being a girl if they were a boy. Rosenquist pursued her own agenda outside the curriculum, which included persuading fifth graders. Yeah, again, I talked about that already. To further her agenda, Rosenquist read and provided her students with graphic books about gender and bedroom stuff that were not in the curriculum. She created her own book called I Am Neither, of course, and read student, a book called When Aiden Becomes a Brother, a book about transitioning, surgery, and hormones. Again, nine, eight, and nine. When, in When Aiden Becomes a Brother, the mother admits misgendering her son and said apologize for the pronoun mistake. It has most recently been banned from curriculums in a Florida school district. At least one of the books not in the curriculum were found in her classroom after a search was conducted. Her bosses admitted that the teacher should have gone to the parents, and if the child wanted to be called a different name or pronoun, that issue was not handled properly. Well, it, the child didn't want to. Because now the child wants to end their, their existence on this planet because this teacher filled their poor head with all this craziness. And now this kid is going to probably have to change schools. What's interesting to me is, you know, for all of these 
all of these. Oh boy. Oh boy. Oh boy. Well, we'll have to cover this. Um, you know, that that's all of these people, all these weirdos, uh, pretend that this stuff doesn't happen, that you're crazy, you're home, you're transphobic or homophobic or all this stuff. Oh, it's just one weirdo teacher on TikTok. Oh, it's just one whatever, whatever on, on this. Like, um, no, it, it appears to be a major issue. It appears to be literally all over the world. It, I mean, at least all over in this country. And these teachers are doing this kind of stuff. Just put it this way. The only reason we knew about this is because a child was so messed up by the teacher that they wanted to end their existence on this planet. I mean, I don't even really understand um, what on earth we have to do. I mean, homeschool your kids. I suppose that's that's a big takeaway here. There's going to be more stories like this coming out. There's going to be more lawsuits, and I 100% support them. And last up today, Jono's rage as Mandalorian Season 3 doesn't humiliate Gina Carano. I don't know if you knew this. It felt like maybe it's just, you know, it's not in my in my social media circles anymore, given how they treated Gina Carano. But The Mandalorian Season 3 launched last night, Season 3, Episode 1. And the consensus from the critics is that uh, either A, they didn't like it because they didn't have like a brutal removal for Cara Dune, which I'll talk about. Uh, B, or two, two, that it's just an episode full of member berries. And three, that it was boring. So the critics did not review this episode very well, but the Rotten Tomato scores seem to kind of um, contradict that. But I think a big part of it is coming from anger that they didn't humiliate Gina Carano. The Mandalorian Season 3 doesn't completely write off Gina Carano's Cardoon. If you look at this, good news. It sounds like Cardoon will never come back to The Mandalorian. By the way, they got... Ratio, they got a ratio to buy Undoomed. They got a ratio, they got ratio by lots of people. I mean, like, I don't even understand, you know, a lot of these like uh, weird media sites, um, you know, they don't, they don't even, I guess, want me to respond to them anymore because it seems like they, I'm pre blocked by a lot of times because they know what'll happen is, you know, you'll see the video. Nobody actually follows these losers on the internet. So, it's like, okay, well, I didn't know there's this dumb thing that you said, but here it is now. And then they get a bunch more critiques. And in terms of media companies, um, I 100% support that. So if you look at the initial tweet here from the AV Club, uh, completely ratioed and only got 119 likes. Like, I don't know if people just aren't using Twitter. Certainly my interactions has gone have gone down on Twitter and also really on YouTube too. So if you're here, I appreciate it. If you haven't already, please make sure you click that subscribe button down below. Um, but you see a lot of these replies, you know, <laughs> I mean, it, it's just, they're so out of touch. They're so completely out of touch. We support women unless they don't do what they're told and are mouthy and disrespectful. Uh, you see, she was my favorite actress on that show. 
a BA in real life too. And y'all literally cancel her. She's because she said, maybe we shouldn't make the same mistakes people did in the past. Um, you're not the good guys. You think you are encouraging political cancel culture. Yay. You managed to purge a strong female character for the actress. Lack of ideological purity comrades. Uh, you know, star Wars needs more strong female characters. No, not her. Just smiling politely. We're witnessing mental illness. Just everybody absolutely destroying. It's like, who's even talking about the season three of The Mandalorian? Did you watch it? Here's Rolling Stone saying The Mandalorian season three gets off to a disappointing start. Premiere episodes fall victim to Star Wars shared universe and Book of Boba Fett while still obscuring Pedro Pascal's wonderfully expressive face. A strange thing that happens at the start of Mandalorian Season 3, we open, of course, with the montage of events from previous seasons that will be relevant to what's going to be about to happen. We're reminded of, of IG-11 sacrifice in Season 1 finale, um, all this kind of stuff. The choice of clips is notable less for what it featured than what it didn't. We did not see a single frame of footage featuring Luke Skywalker, Ahsoka Tano, or Grogu. Even though The Mandalorian Season 2 ended with Mando and the little guy saying goodbye seemingly forever. And even though their reunion played out in the final stretch of the book, and even though the reunion played out in the final stretch of the book of Boba Fett, this is the peril of enjoying a series in a shared universe. Whether it's on screen or on the page, if you don't consume all of it, you may miss something important about a corner of the universe you actually care about. Well, I'm not willing to commit all of that. It's an annoying note on which to begin a pretty underwhelming episode. Premieres can be tough because they often have to devote more time and energy setting up a season-long conflict rather than satisfying in its own right. The apostate opens up with big action sequence and gives another toward the end. The former with Jin Jaren and Grogu saving an armorer and other members of the watch from a giant alligator-esque beast. The latter with our heroes out dueling a squadron of pirate ships in the asteroid belt outside of Navarro. Most of it though involves Mando laying out the many steps of his redemption tour. First he needs to get IG-11 fixed and all this kind of stuff. Essentially it was a little boring is, is what what people are saying. I'm not saying it was completely bad, but if we look how things started, you know, where things are to how they're going now, and it's going to be interesting to see um, exactly what level of viewership it has now in season three. I mean, obviously they did finish strong with the Luke Skywalker thing. I mean, I, even I can admit that was pretty good. We look at season one with a 93-92 rating. Almost basically in universal agreement. Critics and fans loved it. Of course, featured Gina Carano. Season 2, 93 again from the critics, then 91 from the fans. Also pretty good. What's interesting is there's only 4,000 reviews. Then if we look at Season 3, with just 80 reviews so far, so not that many, you see a, a decent drop in uh, the reviews from the critics. Still 89. It's still pretty good. Uh, but a big drop in the fan reviews uh, down to 82. Now, these are people that could be exercising a little bit of, you know, I'm mad about Cara Dune. Uh, but you see a vast, this is not the way, massive drop in quality and writing, empty soulless characters, almost as if Favreau and Filoni didn't know where they were going with this. More generic characters to make pegwormers and Funko boxes. Looking forward to Grogu and his box set exclusives available only at Galaxy's Edge for $129.99. The greatest warrior race of all of Star Wars bumbles around like fools fighting giant lizards at melee range while they are equipped with jetpacks and long-range rifles. So these are actually like 
This is these aren't even like uh, negative reviews about Gina Carano. These are just fan reviews that uh, strongly don't like it. Big budget mediocrity. Season three, episode one was bland ride. You know, but there's obviously some good reviews. Best performance of the series of The Last of Us, but in The Mandalorian, it's the same, nothing new in the plot. So, you know, I think the fans really didn't like episode one. I mean, the critics at an 89 is still obviously pretty admirable. Um, if you look at only the few negative reviews that are in it, and, and if it drops, you know, below 85, I think that's noteworthy. It's only at 27 reviews right now. But if you look here, um, fans have griped that the lightweight Mandalorian is robbing Star Wars of what made it special often, especially with a disposable throwaway, more of the same episodes like this. It's really hard to argue with. Dylan Roth from The Observer wrote, Personally, I'm hoping that Jaren's expedition recovers something else. My interest in the show, people are getting bored with it. Uh, but, you know, those are only two negative reviews. So it'd be interesting to see that the audience scores are definitely down. Uh, but there's a lot of this whining and complaining about Gina Carano. And maybe that's affecting, quite honestly, maybe that's affecting their review scores. You see, Marshall Dune was a key player, but controversies keeping her out of the galaxy. The Mandalorian season three is here. And after a two year hiatus in episode one, creator John Favreau devotes most of the run to reintroducing the players and setting up new stakes. Pedro Pascal's Jin Jaren is back with Grogu after picking him up from babysitter Luke Skywalker. Um, what's happened to Marshall Dune? Grief explains that to Din halfway through the episode after she brought in Moff Gideon, Giancarlo Esposito's Empire affiliate Dark Saber swinging baddie from season two. She was recruited by special forces. Star Wars fans might hear that and think that the Mandalorian team might be teeing her up for a role in a previously announced Lucasfilm project, Rangers of the New Republic, but in reality, the premiere's poochy moment is the last beat of an ugly and unfortunate parting of ways between Disney and Carano. The thing is, like, I would, I would honestly think after all this time like after all this time we really can't like we can't bring her back we can't you know so this entire article is not about the Mandalorian it's just about whining that Cardoon's still in it the one thing the Mandalorian season premiere 3 did not do is kill off Marshall Dune somewhere carousel out there busting skulls in the name of what's right but for the foreseeable future, Lucasfilm does not need Carano to keep her spirit alive in the Star Wars universe. Well, I mean, I would argue that they do. I mean, I suppose we'll see exactly how reviews come in and how uh, everything gets tailored. You know, how if these fan reviews, and again, like these aren't really like digging the show because Carano's not on it. They're just saying, oh, it's not very good or it wasn't very good this season. It's going to be interesting to see are you at all interested in in Carid or in a in a Gina Chronolis Mandalorian? Are you even interested because it was such a long break? That I find probably more detrimental than anything. Going two full years and uh, really having nothing going on and nothing to say, I really don't feel like diving back into the world that hates me. I hope you enjoyed this video. If you did, please make sure you leave a like on it, and we'll talk to you again real soon.